Welcome to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill, and I'll be leading you on this adventure. We'll be getting into deep discussions about classic records, profiles on up-and-coming bands, and interviews with your favorite artists. You can check out new episodes every week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Hey guys, I can't tell you how stoked I am for this next episode. Like most people that listen to this show, I love Black Sabbath, particularly the Dio era. That's Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, and Dehumanizer. So it's with great honor that I introduce my next guest, Vinny Apice. He uh, did most of the Heaven and Hell tour, played drums on Mob Rules and Dehumanizer, as well as played drums with Dio and a host of other bands. So with that said, not only was Vinny the drummer on some of my favorite records, he also has a brand new record coming out for his band, The Last in Line, aptly titled Last in Line 2. Real quick, before we get started, please check out my Gimme Radio DJ show, The Sacred and Profane. It comes out twice a month, so if you haven't checked this out yet, download the Gimme app and have at it. So your name comes up quite a bit uh, when we're talking about drummers and um, you know legendary bands and all that stuff. And the first question I have for you, and this is a big, heavy question, how do you pronounce your last name? <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, Apathy. Okay, Apathy. Carmine's a piece. Really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. And actually, we have another older brother. He doesn't play. He says a peach. Really? The Italian way, yeah. Yes, because I would, I would think it was a peachy. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's actually, it looks like a piece, but it, it's always pronounced apathy. That's the way my father pronounced it. And Carmine used to say apathy. And when he started playing with Rod Stewart, he pronounced it a piece. So he's changed it to a piece. And I didn't like the way that sounded. So I just stuck with what my father said, which was apathy. Are you so, guys still close, you and Carmine? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, we do a show together called uh, Drum Wars and... Uh, with a band and play music from our histories. We have a ball. Yeah. Oh, we're, great. we're very close. Nice. And uh, you guys are both native New Yorkers too, right? From Brooklyn. Yeah. From Brooklyn. Yeah. Borough park actually. Oh, nice. Okay. So this new, well, it's not a new band, but for the last in line, uh, there's an interesting story as to how this whole band formed. Um, you know, it's the original Dio yeah. lineup and uh, you guys hadn't played together in, in over two decades. So, so how did that come together? Well, I think it was uh, 2000, when was it? 12, I think. Um, we, 11 or 12, Viv called me up. You know, we kept in touch over the years, not, not a lot, but we did keep in touch. And he called up and said, hey, I spoke to Jimmy. You want to get together and uh, jam, play, just have some fun? you know, with some of the old songs, I said, sure. So we went into a rehearsal place, just the three of us jammed out some of these songs and we had a good time, you know, trying to remember the parts, Pivs trying to remember the solos. Uh, so we had such a good time that we, uh, we got together again the following week and I called Andy Freeman, who's a friend of mine. I said, you're in town. Why don't you come down and sing? We're just going to jam some Dio stuff. It'd be fun. So he came down and he blew everybody away singing this stuff. 
And it was so good, and there was just some magic there that we said, why don't we do some gigs, you know? So <clears throat> that's the way it started. We started doing some gigs, and uh, the reaction from the fans, you know, hearing the the old Dio stuff from 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 us, they were freaking out. And uh, then from there, we our manager Steve Strange got us a record deal with Frontiers Records, and we were able to do uh, record one album called Heavy Crown, which came out in 2016. And now we just finished the second album, which will be out February 22nd. And uh, Andy Freeman, uh, I, I'm familiar with him from the Lynch the Lynch Mob. Uh, what other uh, what other bands was he in prior to playing with you guys? <clears throat> he sang in uh, Offspring a little. I think he played guitar in Offspring, and then he was with the Rock Vault show in Las Vegas for years, like six or seven years or something like that. So he sang uh, in that show, and uh, he sang with George. That's how I met him a long time ago. We did a tour together. Uh, I did uh, played with George, and uh, Andy was a singer, and George likes to book books. A lot of gigs in a row, you know, could be 15 gigs in a row. It's pretty crazy. And he was able to sing 15 gigs and not many singers could do that. So back then, this was a while ago, I, I got Andy's number. I said, wow, that's incredible. You were able to do this and um, got a good head on his shoulders, you know, no drugs, no alcohol problems. So we kept in touch, you know. So now the original, so, uh, the original lineup for The Last in Line was, uh, was Jimmy Bain. You know, original member of the that Rainbow yes. lineup, and also uh, you know, obviously from Deep Purple. I'm sorry, not Deep Purple for uh, from Rainbow. Rainbow. Uh, Vivian Campbell, yeah. you know, another guy, uh, White Snake, and uh, the the uh, Sweet Savage. That's another band, a new wave of British heavy metal band of, of that he played in way back. Yeah, that was his first band. Yeah, before Dio. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, I that's like I grew up listening to that stuff, so. You know, that stuff is Matter definitely... Matter of fact, Sweet Savage, you know, Piv came out of Sweet Savage into Dio, and um, the song Stand Up and Shout was actually part of a Sweet Savage song. Really? It, yeah, I never heard it, but that's where it came from. That's what I was told. And uh, we changed it around, obviously. They added some things to it. But, uh, yeah, that was a, an idea from uh, Sweet Savage. Now, uh, when you guys had the first record out, um, did you play, You were you still mixing in some of the Dio songs as well, or was it all just straight up originals throughout that? Um, when we started playing live, we, you know, the first bunch of, actually before we recorded the album was all old Dio stuff. Right. All the, all the classic stuff, because we didn't have any other songs, you know. So, uh, so we did that, and then once we recorded the album, we put like, started with two songs in the set, then as the album was out, people knew the songs. We put three. Uh, I think we went to four at the very end because people knew the songs, you know, the fans. <clears throat> so uh, now we'll have to put songs in from the new album. You know, we'll start the same way. Probably put uh, two in, you know, because people still want to hear the really old classic stuff. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, we love playing it, so. Yeah, it's probably fun, too, you know, getting together. Yeah. And, uh so do you guys play the big European festivals and all that sort of stuff once you guys started hitting the road? Uh, yeah, we, we mainly started uh, in the U.S. And then uh, eventually, actually, we started in the U.S. And then we went to Europe and did like five or six shows. And that went really well. 
Um, then we came back mainly to U.S. until 2017. We did a tour with Saxon in Europe and a bunch of dates on our own in Europe. So uh, this year we're going to go to Download Festival. We're going to be on that show with Def Leppard, which is cool. Yeah. And then we're going to do a show in London on our own too. Just two shows right now. If my mer- for Europe. If my memory serves me correctly, I believe, didn't Vivian Campbell also do some uh, work with Def Leppard in the past as well? Oh, he's in Def Leppard. He's in Def Leppard, yeah, right. Yeah. He's been there for 20 yeah, that... years. <laughs> <laughs> we, he says that's his day job. <laughs> <laughs> so is he doing double duty when you guys are playing with them? Well, we do. We kind of work around their schedule. Okay. You know? They're the mothership. So when they're not touring which is like uh, they start up sometime maybe in June. So we're touring all the way through May, starting two weeks from now. And uh, so we have to work around schedules, you know? Sure. Um, So Jimmy Bain passed away a few years ago. And um, did the thought of not continuing the band ever come up? Or, you know, did you guys ever discuss any of that? Yeah, yeah, it it was discussed. And... uh, <clears throat> it the talk came up like, you know, what are we gonna do? You know, it's just like when anybody passes away, you freak out, and it's really, really hard to deal with. Uh, but yeah, we gave it gave it some time, and then uh, Viv and I talked, and Andy, and uh, we decided, hey, Jimmy would want us to continue, you know. Yeah. So let's let's just do it, and uh, that's what we did. And then we auditioned bass players. Yeah, after a couple of months after Jimmy died, you know, we just took time off to <clears throat> absorb that. And then uh, we started auditioning a couple of bass players. And then Phil Susan came down, and he's a good friend of <clears throat> both of us, all of us, actually. And uh, he comes from the same school of, of, of rock that we did, you know, same, same era. And uh, he played with Ozzy, he played with Billy Idol. And uh, and he's a good friend. We all get along, you know. So that was important. So he fit in like a glove, you know. So with the songwriting process, do you guys write as a band or is like, you know, say one guy come in with a song completely done and demoed and all that sort of stuff? Like, how do you guys approach songwriting? Um, like with any, it's funny, with all the bands I've been in, starting from Black Sabbath, the Mob Rules album, mm-hmm. nobody came in with a song. Okay. We got into a rehearsal room and we jammed. And always, I don't know how I got assigned the duty, but I was the guy recording the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back then, yeah, it was a cassette recorder that uh, maybe we had two mics on and we go in a room and, and I would record things that came up that were interesting with Sabbath, you know, and uh, that's how we did Mob Rules. Nobody really came up with songs just started building on something either we played or later on the next day we listened to on tape. Wow, that's pretty good. Let's, let's try to to make something out of this riff or idea. And that's the way it's been on all the deal records and all the, uh, and last in line as well. Both of these albums will just go in there and start with nothing you know, and just jam away, record some riffs. And a couple of, a couple of last in line things were actually recorded in the dressing room. When Viv's warming up, he tends to play 
off the cuff. You know, he just plays anything. Right. And you walk in, you go, what's that? He goes, I don't know. So I'll record it. You know, so we had about eight of those, and uh, we listened to them, and they were quite good. So sometimes we started with what he played from the, from the dressing room and uh, built that into a song. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, a it's lot more, of people— It's actually a more natural way for the band to sound like a band rather than somebody that wrote a song that uh, maybe I'm not comfortable with some of the accents, the way he played them. And, you know, this way it's just— Bills with everybody involved, you know, gets created. Yeah, that's, I feel like some of the favorite, my favorite music has been written that way, you know, be it Sabbath or Dio or Led Zeppelin <laughs> or, you know, any of those bands. Yeah. You know, Deep Purple. Uh, so yeah. I have a bunch of Sabbath questions, but since we're talking about, you know, you mentioned Mob Rules, um, you joined Sabbath like on the road, right? Is that the, is that, is that correct? <clears throat> yeah, Sabbath were on the road for the Heaven and Hell tour supporting that album and uh they were supposed to play denver and bill ward left the band at that point so they had to postpone that gig and they had a couple days off so they came to la obviously starting to put the feelers out like we need to get a drummer you know so i got a call and i don't know how they got my number from who i think from maybe warner brothers and uh they heard me play on some stuff, and uh, the tour manager said, you want to come down to meet Tony Iommi? I said, sure. <clears throat> this all happened in Los Angeles, so I went down and met Tony, and we hit it off great. And he had an album that I did prior called Axis, and uh, it was produced by Andy Johns. That album uh, was a kind of hard rock album. So he had it with him, and he liked it. So he heard me play like the way I play and we hit it off. Then next day I went down to rehearsal and met the rest of the band. And uh, then we started rehearsing for, to continue the tour, you know? So I was in the band uh, <clears throat> on the premise of, you know, well, Bill might come back. Right. You know? So as the weeks and months went by, it didn't look like Bill was coming back. And then we had to do a song for a movie called Heavy Metal. So we were in England and we went into John Lennon's house because there's a studio in there. We had two days and we went there and stayed there, which was really cool. And we recorded, well, he actually wrote and recorded the Mob Rules song. And that was for that uh, movie. Yeah, I so remember they, that movie. That had a pretty cool soundtrack. I think Bloister Cult was on that too. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, so that's a different version of Mob Rules than that's on our album. We re-recorded re it in L.A. once we, once we did it, so uh, once we started the album. So when we recorded it, it came out so good, it was like, wow, Vinny works in the studio too, you know, the band sounds great. So that kind of gave me more assurance that I was going to stay in the band, you know. Bill wasn't going to come back, you know, so that's what happened. And then we continued and then uh, finished the tour, went in the studio. Uh, first we rehearsed, had to come up with the material, and then went in the studio and did them all rules. Yeah, that's, uh, it's funny. I'm, even though I love the first four Sabbath uh, records with Ozzy, the Dio material was actually the first material I heard by Sabbath. So um, it was the Mob mm -hmm. Rules record. And, you know, for about a year, I, you know, I was a kid. I thought that's what Sabbath sounded like. And I was like, wow, this is really cool, you know. And right. then I went back and I heard the Ozzy stuff. And it was obviously way different. 
and I, and it scared me originally. I was like, you know, 13 years old when I heard the song Black Sabbath, and uh, <laughs> it was like me terrifying me to me, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, me, me too. It was like, wow. My friend played me that first album, and I was into Zeppelin and Hendrix, yeah. and you know, listen a little bit Deep Purple. So then I heard Sabbath, and I'm like, wow, this album sounds weird, man. The drums are really dry and it, very evil and dark sounding. And then Ozzy's voice and even the cover was scary. Exactly. You know? Yeah, with the witch on it and everything. And, yeah. um, you know, also your drumming style uh, differs pretty pretty uh, drastically from Bill Ward, who has like that sort of uh, looser, like blues feel, you know, and like <clears throat> his fills are a little bit different. And so, I mean, the stuff that you guys were writing, uh, I think is you know, pretty well suited to the way you're playing. Cause I, I actually am familiar with the Axis record you did too as well. Oh, and, uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, it's like, has more of like a, you know, I would say on the beat sort of vibe to it, you know, as opposed to like yeah. the pocket that Bill had. Yeah. Well, Bill, Bill always said he was a percussionist and not a drummer. I could see and that. If, if you listen to the stuff, that's the way he played. He played stuff on the Tom sometimes that instead of a, you know, snare and bass drum thing he's playing on the toms on this whole part and that stuff is great it's so very creative so bill's stuff was was uh his unique style you know and uh when i joined the band <clears throat> i had to play those songs similar to that you know right. so my style's different i listened to john bonham which is more power powerful uh grooves and and you know, some crazy fills and stuff. Right. So, but the stuff Bill did was very creative. I love it. Was that the first time you'd met Ronnie James Dio was like when you joined the band? <clears throat> yeah. The first time I met Ronnie James Dio, it's funny because before I got the call to go down to play with Sabbath, I heard neon nights on the radio Yeah. and I'm driving and I went, Oh man, I didn't know who Ronnie was really. I knew man on the silver mountain, you know, long live rock and roll. But I wasn't familiar with Rainbow, didn't follow it. And I heard Sabbath, Neon Nights, and I went, that singer's really good, the new singer for Sabbath. Man, he sings great. So I was really, like, impressed. And then when I went down to meet the band, I met Ronnie that day. And they said, what song you want to play? And they go, I said, uh, how about Neon Nights? I didn't really know it. I didn't listen to it, but I knew it was a fast song, and it was pretty much straight ahead for the drums. And I can get through it. So that's the first song I played with the band and Ronnie. And 33 years later, it was the last song I played with Ronnie. Really? Oh, yeah, with that in Heaven and Hell. Like on that. Heaven and Hell, yeah. yeah. And that song's been an opener. It's been in the middle. It's been at the end. It goes all over the place. And then at the last tour, it was at the end. And it just kind of finished the whole thing. You know, like first song I played with him and last song I played with him. And the whole journey in between, you know. So, like, I, you know, my, my impression is that you guys had a really good relationship because you played on so many records together, you and Dio. Yeah, yeah. We were like, uh, you know, we became really, really close, like brothers, you know. I, his parents would come over from New York in the winter to spend the winter in California. <clears throat> you know, they'd come over to my house with Ronnie. We'd have dinner. We'd play poker. And it was, like, very, very close. Ronnie knew all my family. And then we had the same interests, you know, we both were like, uh, you know, like to repair the house and go to Home Depot, believe it or not, and 
fix stuff and cars and different things like that, you know. And then I got into computers. I took care of Ronnie's computers. And so we had a lot of uh, uh, things in common. So we became very close. Yeah, I, I um, you know, Dio, in my opinion, my two favorite, like, classic metal singers, Dio and and, uh, and Rob Halford, I think. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I said he's going to say Rob Halford. Yeah, Rob's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, you know, we played, with, we played with Rob on one gig. Uh, at This was in 1992. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, be, because uh, Ozzy was doing a retirement gig actually with two nights down at Irvine Meadows in California, a big place. And, and they wanted Sabbath on the show and Ronnie didn't want to do it. <clears throat> you know, he didn't want to go on before Ozzy and he had his reasons. And, uh, so the band wanted to do it. I'm in the middle. So I sat down with Ronnie and, you know, we worked it out and, uh, they, we got Rob Halford to sing. We rehearsed with him one day and he had to learn all those songs. Damn. <laughs> but it was killer, you know. Rob was great. It's amazing. And uh, so we did it. And that was the end of the band at that point, 92. Yeah, then there was this whole other period of uh, of just different vocalists and whatnot. And, and yeah. then you guys came and made the Dehumanizer record. Right, right. Well, I think that was after Dehumanizer. That was after Dehumanizer. We had Dehumanizer around. Oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. I'm thinking about the record with Ian Gillen that came between in the middle of all that. The, uh, yeah. The Born Again we did, record. We, the, the history was we did Heaven and Hell tour, Mob Rules, Live Evil, then the band broke up, and that was in uh, 82 it broke up, and then we formed Dio, and then we got back together in 90, probably 90, and started on Dehumanizer, and then did this show, and then that was the end of that band era bank kept breaking up crazy yeah you know sabbath uh <clears throat> you know it's 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 hard to believe that it's over with them you know i'd like to think that at some point there's going to be yet another you know i saw them on a couple of those last reunion uh you know gigs they had with with ozzy yeah. you know yeah and uh yeah it was it was great you know and and it's hard to believe that like an, inst an institution like that's going to disappear you know what i mean yeah and i've been doing i've been offered uh like last year, actually about three or four years ago, a band out here, they did, they were Sabbath tribute band. And they said, why don't you come down and play with us one night? And I said, all right, that'd be fun. <clears throat> so we learned, it was mostly the old Sabbath with Ozzy. Right. Stuff. That's what they did. So I went down and played and people went crazy, you know? So it was like, ah, oh, interesting. And then last year, um, I did something in Cincinnati with a band like that, but we did more Dio stuff too. Right. And it was successful. And then I got offered to go to Europe. Um, and what we did was we called it the Mob Rules Live. And I had a kick-ass band in, in Europe. And we toured for f five, six weeks. And the set list was, you know, mostly Mob Rules, some Old Sabbath, and a couple of sprinkles of Dio songs. And it was, people went crazy. So... I'm doing another one of those in June, July, uh, in Europe. And it's, you know, people want to hear this stuff. You know, I'm the only real one left, especially any ties to any of the Dio Sabbath. Right, you know? right. And then from secondary Black Sabbath, if they're not doing it, Ozzy's going to retire. 
nobody's out there that was from the band, you know, that really was from band A and band B. So I'm doing this and it's a lot of fun, you know, it's sure. a lot of fun doing it. So and people love it, you know. You know, and as time goes by, I feel like those records, um, they're, they're finding their place, you know what I mean? Because I, I actually listed, um, as part of the show, I do a classic albums uh, episodes. And um, I had Heaven and Hell as a, as a classic record before I got into the uh, Ozzy stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe because yeah. for me personally, you know, like I was saying, that was the first Sabbath I heard. And that has a definitely a special place in my heart, you know. But sure. I think in addition to that, a lot of other fans are, are I wouldn't say rediscovering, but they're... Uh, they're putting that in its right place as far as like the career of Black Sabbath, you know what I mean? In their catalog. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I hear that a lot. Um, that the first time they heard Sabbath was on heaven and hell. And it's amazing. You go, wow. Yeah. You missed the whole beginning of <clears throat> how they started. And like we were talking about how scary that album was for the time, you know, and even the names were scary. You look at the credits, you go, Iomi. What kind of name is that? <laughs> yeah, totally. Ozzy, Ozzy. Osborne. Geezer. What is that? <laughs> Geezer <laughs> Bill, Butler. Bill Ward was probably uh, uh, the most normal. And then you go, Geezer Butler. What's a geezer? You know, in the States. <laughs> yeah. In, in England, it's geezer, yeah. So, you know, that whole thing was missed. And then when people discover that, it's a pretty amazing band, you know. When you think about it, so career, I should say. Yeah. So prior prior to uh, forming the Dio band, like uh, you know, was there a lot of discussion with you and Ronnie about doing a band after Sabbath, <laughs> or you know, how did how did you guys discuss that? Like, what did what was the genesis of that band? Well, what happened was Ronnie had a record deal with Warner Brothers, a solo deal. He always had it, you know, and uh, but we were touring with Sabbath on Heaven and Hell. And then doing Mob Rules, Live Eva. So we were busy. So Ronnie thought while well, Sabbath was going to last that he would do a solo record with all his friends. Like get all, all like Carrie Ligrim from uh, Kansas was a good friend. And <clears throat> I would play on it. Carrie, all the different people. Maybe Cozy, you know, mm -hmm. Cozy Powell. So that was the idea of his record deal. He, he thought he'd do a, a solo thing like that. But then when things started to turn, he realized that, you know, I think I want to put a band together of my own, finally, you know. So that's when he told me, listen, I'm going to leave Sabbath, and I'm going to do a new band. You want to do it with me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So that's how that started. And then uh, we went to look for players. We went to uh, your uh, England to look. You know, Ronnie won. We tried some guitar players in the States. <clears throat> we even tried Jakey e. Lee. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ronnie wanted some European players to make it more, uh, like, international. And, and Ronnie's always played with people from all over the world, you know. So, right. Like with Richie Blackmore. And, and it gave it a different flavor. So we went to England, and that's where uh, we hooked up with Jimmy Bain, who found, who knew Vivian Campbell. And we got together and jammed in London, and it was like really, really kicking ass. So we went, "This is it, you know. This is the band." That's awesome. And um, and you you were with Dio like the whole run, basically. <clears throat> yeah, I was I was with him up until about '87, 
And then the band turned, it, it changed, you know. We had the band, it was very successful for three years, you know, with Viv. Then he wanted to change guitar players. You know, him and Viv weren't seeing eye to eye, so in comes Craig Goldie. <clears throat> okay. You know, so that changed the band up a little bit, changed the sound of the band, and uh, it wasn't the same. And then eventually uh, the whole band was changed. It became all these new guys, you know. Right. And uh, unknown guys, and it was like, you know, and they were really young, and I thought, you know, this is like maybe it's time for me to leave and go do something else. So, <clears throat> so I left in 87 and played with Jimmy Bain with a band called World War Three. We did uh, one album. So I was with Ronnie for for probably seven years, you know, total. So um, you know, going back a few years down the line, uh, with uh, that reef, the formation of Heaven and Hell, that that sort of, I remember that that came out, and I was like, oh, this is perfect, you know. But why isn't this called Black Sabbath? And I'm sure there was like legal reasons and all this other stuff as to that as well, right? Yeah, there was some sort of legal thing, and then I think it was more down to uh, calling it Heaven and Hell defines the band more as this is the Ronnie era. We're not playing the old stuff, you know. Because yeah. in 1980, we played all the old stuff, too. Right. Yeah, there's only one record available, you know, or two <clears> records. Only one or, record yeah. together, and they threw in that. And then uh, years later, we had uh, Dehumanizer and Mob Rules out and Live Evil, so... Uh, Ronnie didn't want to sing those songs anymore, the old stuff. So that's why it was called Heaven and Hell, basically, the main reason. Right. So it defined it better, you know. So out of all the records that you played on, you must have, like, some favorites, you know what I mean? I mean, you got a huge catalog of material. And uh, for you, what are some personal favorite records that you played on? Um, yeah, I'm glad you said a few because... I can't pick one. No, nah, I mean, nah, it's never one. It's never just one. <laughs> it would be definitely Holy Diver. I'll pick two, Holy Diver and Mob Rules. You know, just they're just uh, some legendary albums. They became legendary albums. And they're just great songs and great playing, great sound, great covers. It was just uh, the right thing at the right time, you know. And those two albums, believe it or not, are still selling. Yeah. And downloaded, you know. No, it's, totally. It's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I think Dio still. I mean, even even like you know younger people still recognize Ronnie James Dio and Black Sabbath and the Dio band and all that stuff is like you know yeah. crucial crucial music. You know what I mean? As well as like some of the new stuff that's coming out. You know. Oh yeah, this there's a lot of um, you know. So I do drum clinics. I do a lot of different things. You know, rock camps and all these things. And and uh, there's young kids that are just old getting into the old classic music from Sabbath, Zeppelin, uh, Hendrix, Deep Purple, you know, the discovering the stuff. I mean, those pretty much that kind of music you could learn how to play from. Some of the stuff today is so produced and I don't know, you know, there's some of it you can learn from some of it's just like a good song. Yeah. And you listen to it it's not as, as inspiring as listening to maybe Hendrix and listening to, for me, Mitch Mitchell playing fills on the drums right? with no effects or anything, just raw drums or, you know, Zeppelin's first albums, just guitar, bass, and drums, a couple of overdub guitars. 
and solos. You go, man, I want to learn that. So those those albums were totally, you know, inspiring for me. And I think for some of the new kids, the young kids listening to them today, because they could hear actual playing on it. You know, nobody nobody had computers and pasted in the second verse. You know, like we do now. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's the whole thing, and also just even drum programming is uh, oh, yeah. is insane. I mean, there's that su- superior drummer, which is like you know, if you play guitar yeah. and you're writing songs, you can just drag and drop like verses and choruses and pre pre exactly. can you know. And even the drums, you listen to drums. Sometimes I go, is that a drum machine or is that a drummer? Because if it's a drummer, sometimes it's so perfect and fixed, you know, that you can't tell the difference. Sometimes on on a lot of records I do, I make a mistake and I'll leave it in because it's all, it's weird. You know, it's weird and, and it's not exactly perfect, but it gives it uh, a human element to it. It's got soul, you know? Yeah. Actually, so, you're not the first person that had said that as far as drummers I've spoken to. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they, it, it adds like a human, like an organic quality to it that gives a character, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it may you may put a click up to it. I mean, all the albums like uh, Holy Diver, the, those big albums, the Mob Rules, Last of Mine, we didn't use a click. You know, I didn't uh, did never use a click. So if you look and if you put a metronome onto the song in the beginning, it probably sped up a little bit by the end. Sure. Yeah. But that was that was cool. That's that's the way it fe- felt. Oh yeah, I mean, right. if you listen to the Sabbath, you know, old Sabbath and Zeppelin, oh, those yeah. tempos are all over the place. You know what I mean? It's like you know the song, the song, <laughs> the Wizard. You know, it's like yeah, you listen to that. I mean, I watched them play together. You know, from the side of the stage, and just from them starting together and playing together from when they were young, just know how to block it in, even though it doesn't make sense timing wise. Like you couldn't count it. Two, three, they just come in yeah. and they play it like one giant guy, you know. It's just they know how to feel it together, you know. And the tempos are different It's and, and it works, you know. Yeah, because even listening to like live albums and stuff too, you know, it's, um, you know, there, there's a, there was a Sabbath record called The Live at Last, which is like, I think it was yeah. like 45 minutes long and it was like just noise and everything. And, and the songs are actually slower than they are on the album, you know what I mean? It's like, they have oh, yeah. like this heavier, like slower feel to it live, which is always like, wow, those guys like play slower live. I guess it's weird. Well, they were, well, they were tired. <laughs> they were tired. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that, that's that's funny, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's that first Sabbath album, from what I, <clears throat> from what I know, I, I they went into the studio. They were on the on the road playing pubs in England. You know, they weren't known, and they went in the studio and just played the set, recorded it, and then put additional guitar on it, maybe double the vocals. And they did it in a couple of days. Yeah. And there you go. It's like major album, you know. So we were talking about, um, you know, certain inspirations that you had in bands. You see, you liked Hendrix and Zeppelin. Was there, is there anything, were there any other artists, like when you're forming your, your sort of mu- musical, you know, vocabulary that you were inspired yeah. by? Uh, yeah, it was mainly, you know, my brother was an inspiration, you right. know, because I'm about 11 years uh, younger than him. So watching what he was doing was pretty inspiring. And that's why I got into drums. But, uh, you know, Zeppelin was a major thing. And then there were things like, uh, 
like a band Mahavishnu Orchestra I heard because mm -hmm. Billy Cobham was on drums and it was just incredible playing on there. So I was inspired by some of that stuff too. And, um, and uh, Buddy Rich, yeah. you know? And uh, I mean, I'm not a jazz freak or anything, but just listening to that, I can't play any of that stuff, you know? And, uh, and you watch him play and totally inspiring, you know? All the stuff I listened to had drummers that, took chances like Mitch Mitchell, Carmine, uh, Ginger Baker. Um, by that, they just didn't play the song. They played fills that became part of the song and especially Bonham. Yeah. And that's how I grew up playing. Like, well, if I'm going to make albums, I want people, fans to listen to it and be inspired by the drums and try to learn what I did. Cause that's the way I grew up. I wanted to learn what Bonham did or my brother did or Mitch Mitchell. And, um, you know, that's the way I grew up. And that's why you listen to some of these albums. There's a lot of fills on them. But I don't just throw them in. I feel it, you know. Yeah. yeah. I don't, so it's not playing it safe. It's kind of taking a chance. Like, is this, is this going to work? And, and doing it with Ronnie. Ronnie, you know, the great singer that he is, was. And uh, he never said anything about playing over his vocal line. You know, he, he encouraged me to play as me. And feel it and then uh, if you listen to holy diver even mob rules there's some fills that go over his vocals while he's singing i gotta and, check that out again you gotta listen to that yeah yeah we inspired each other so but he never said oh don't play over my vocal line you know it's never like that so he inspired me to do my thing you know which is cool of him very cool we inspired each other you know you mentioned uh ginger baker earlier um you know, and speaking about a guy who took chances, <laughs> you know, that there was a yeah. documentary about him. Uh, yeah, he, I saw it. <laughs> oh, man, what a wild man that guy was. <laughs> hey, you know what? We did a rock camp. I do a lot of rock fantasy camps, yep. you know, my friend David Fishoff, who started it. And uh, it's a great experience. It's a great event. It, uh, it's, it's really cool. So we did one with Ginger Baker. Really? And he wasn't very... It wasn't very nice. Yeah, it wasn't very nice. Huh. Yeah, because he's supposed to, when when you're booked on that, you know, he's supposed to play with the bands that are there. You know, there were right. people that bought onto the camp, and uh, and that's what usually happens. And they we've done it with you know Chief Trick, Alice Cooper, Judas Priest played with everybody. So does Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. So when it came down to Ginger Baker, he's on the stage, and he's just rambling on the drums and the band comes up to play with him. He doesn't acknowledge them nothing. He just keeps playing, rambling on the drums and nobody knew what to do. Oh know? yeah. Nobody knew what to do. So basic, basically they just started jamming a little bit with him, but uh, it was definitely out of the norm of that, what was supposed to happen. You know, and then we took pictures and he gave the, you know, he gave the finger in the pictures, all the pictures. And, <laughs> That's funny. So I met him, you know, I said, this is, uh, they said he wanted to meet me. I don't know why. I don't think he did. But he, uh, you know, my brother knows him. My brother knows him. So, uh, so I went in and, uh, hi, I'm Vinny. I'm Carmine's you know, brother. And, oh, okay. I, <laughs> yeah, I said, funny. okay. Then I left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Cream, 
the Creams of Bands got like song after song after song, man. They got so many great songs, so many great records. And, uh, yeah. you know, for me, that's, I mean, though I acknowledge Eric Clapton as, uh, you know, an incredible musician, inspirational guy, that's really the only band of his that I go back and listen to, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Blind, Blind Faith was a different band, you know, but Cream was just, you know, kick ass, you know. Yeah. You got just a three piece band that just you know you got eric clapton on guitar i mean it's just amazing <clears throat> you know playing uh, when he's playing heavier like that so so last yeah. in, the last in line is a new record uh coming out it'll be out by the time this uh episode airs and uh so are there any touring plans coming up for you guys yeah we start in about two weeks uh in california we got a bunch of california arizona dates then we move on to the midwest texas and then uh, eventually to the East Coast. And within that, we're doing two gigs in Europe, in England. One of them's Download Festival. Right. And then one show in London of our own. And uh, so it's going to be busy up until probably beginning of June. That's when Def Leppard, uh, we have a block for them. Uh, you know, they'll probably start rehearsing and stuff. So I think they're going out in the summer, possibly. Right. So. Yeah, and the album sounds great. We're really, really excited about it. Really proud of it. You know, we think it's a step up from the first record we did. And now we got Phil Susan on bass. So the songs, you know, they're pretty much the same rawness to them, but they, they're a little maybe more sophisticated, a little bit more complicated. And uh, we got some great hooks and great playing. And, uh, you know, we produced it with Jeff Pilson, the band, and Jeff Pilson and... Uh, the guy mixing it, Chris Collier, just did an amazing job. It sounds real fat, you know? Yeah. Cool sound. When the album sounds good, it's easy to listen to, too. You know, when it sonically sounds good, you know, on your system, it's people tend to want to listen to it more, you know? Actually, since you mentioned, I mean, I like to listen to music on a stereo, you know what I'm saying? And these yeah. days, unfortunately, it seems like people are listening to stuff on their phones and you know, yeah. in these weird degraded formats, you know? Yeah. And it, so it's like, it's kind of a letdown sometimes when you make it, what you think, you know, you got a great sound and album and then it gets smashed down to MP3 and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I know, I know. Well, you're missing the whole thing of, I don't know how old you are, but when I grew up, we, an album came out, you went to the store and got the vinyl album. Yeah. And, and you looked at the pictures and the artwork and they were big. And, uh, you know, I would read on the album where it was recorded. Yep. Wow, where's that studio? Or they sometimes gave you a little information of what mics they use. Or, and that stuff was interesting. And everything was easy to see because it was big on the 12-inch vinyl. And then, uh, and then it sounded great. You know, now people download stuff. You're missing the whole story of the album the complete story like the artwork or anything written in there if you if you get a cd it's hard to see because it's so small right you know you got to sit there and read all the small print so it's a different thing you know so and then the people just download it you don't even get any of the information because it's not there you're just getting a song you know which is okay but not the same experience you know yeah i still buy vinyl i still really enjoy 
having the big format like that and, uh, you know, enjoying yeah. the artwork. And I was always big on reading uh, the thank you lists, you know, to find out what bands these guys toured with and, you know, exactly. that kind of stuff. And that's how I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to do that and find about find out about other bands to listen to that way, you know? Yeah, like you see somebody on there, like thanks to Jimmy Page. Go, wow, these yeah. guys knew Jimmy Page. <laughs> I wonder how they knew him. Did they go over his house or that was cool stuff, you know, it was like a story from the album. So the history. Do you got any favorite tracks on the record? Standouts? Um well there's a song out, there's a video out now called Landslide that came out uh, last month and that's that's a good one. There's a new one coming out probably in about a week, it's called uh, Year of the Gun. It's going to be a lyric video, but it's a real fast song. Mm-hmm. Some crazy stuff on there. So I like them all. I like them all. You know, they're all interesting. They're, they're, they kind of go places, take you on a little bit of a journey, you know, which is cool. So, yeah, I listened, to the rec- I listened to the record a couple times. And the one, the one that I keep going back to is uh, Give Up the Ghost. That's, uh, yeah. I like the vibe that on that song. Too. That's a good one. Yeah, that one's like just a kick-ass you know attitude on that one you know yeah very good yeah so I, I, I like them all you know i'm really excited about the the record so hopefully everybody else will be <laughs> oh yeah no i think uh i think there's for if you're a fan of hard rock you know and, and heavy metal i think for sure this is like something people would be listening to you know yeah yeah. And you know, hope to see you guys out there on the road. Um, you know, is there? There's a. I'm assuming there's a New York date on, uh, on the yeah. tour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll be doing uh, the East Coast probably toward a, end of April into May. So keep an eye out. You know, and then uh, uh, I don't know if you got my email address. You can send me uh, an email. I'll put you on the guest list. Oh, I appreciate that. Down. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Appreciate that, Vinny. Um, yeah. Well, once again, thanks a lot for uh, for chatting. And um, okay. You know. Great, yeah. great record, and uh, thank you. Definitely uh, be seeing you out there on the road. All right, Mike. Thank you. Have you a nice it. day, and uh, good talking to you. Take, Take care, care. Bye bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to Metal Matters a Gimme Radio podcast. We'll be back next week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio via web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities in the world, exclusive interviews and merch, and so much more.